seated. Bible, open it up, pull it up on your device. We're in three chapters tonight, which means you should see the text for yourself. And don't just take my word for it. I want you to be able to see what the Lord has to say. So open your Bible up. We're in Genesis 39 through 41. Genesis 39. We're going to read a couple portions before we dive in. We're going to start in Genesis 39, verse 6. Genesis 39, verse 6. This is God's word. Potiphar left all he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance, and after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house. And he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you're his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her to lie beside her or to be with her. But one day, when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house was there in the house, she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he's brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came into me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by her until his master came home, and she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you've brought among us came in to me to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me, his anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him, and whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. Chapter 41, starting in verse 28. Joseph said, it is as I told Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh what he's about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt, but after them there will arise seven years of famine, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land, and the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of the famine that will follow, for it will be very severe. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that the thing is fixed by God, and God will shortly bring it about. 
Now therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities and let them keep it. That food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are going to occur in the land of Egypt so that the land may not perish through the famine. This proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word. Thank you for Joseph. Thank you for the way you keep him. The way that you kept the known world through him. Father, I pray that you would give us eyes to see what you would say to us in these chapters. And that we would be people whose hearts please you. And it's only through the name of Jesus that we approach you and pray. Amen. Amen. So here's where we're going. I'm going to give an overview of Genesis 39, 40, and 41 as quick as I know how. That's what we're going to do. And then, after an overview of these three chapters, I'll give a, an outline of what we're going to do with the rest of our time. So here, here goes. This is the story of Joseph in Genesis 39 through 41. Joseph, he sold as a slave to a man named Potiphar. Potiphar is the captain of Pharaoh's guard. He's an important man. And because God is with Joseph, Joseph succeeds in all that he does. And so Potiphar puts Joseph over his entire household. But Potiphar's wife wants to sleep with Joseph. Verse 6 of 39 says that Joseph is an attractive man. In his integrity, Joseph is not willing. So Potiphar's wife accuses Joseph of trying to take advantage of her. Potiphar believes her, and he throws Joseph into prison. So now, he's not just a foreigner in Egypt. He's not just a foreign slave in Egypt. He's a foreign slave who's a prisoner in Egypt. This is as low as he's ever been. And yet, the text says that God is still with Joseph. God blesses him in the prison. So the prison guard puts Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners. Eventually, Pharaoh's cupbearer and Pharaoh's baker get thrown into prison, and Joseph is responsible for watching over them. And one night, the cupbearer and the baker, they both have dreams that they're troubled by, and Joseph can tell the next day that they're troubled by their dreams. And so he asks them, what did you dream about? And they tell him. And God enables Joseph to interpret these dreams. That's chapter 40, verse 8. He tells the cupbearer, in three days, you're going to be lifted up and you'll serve Pharaoh again. 
And the baker says, man, that's a good, that's a good report. He tells Joseph his dream, and Joseph says, you will be lifted up in three days and hanged on a tree. And it comes to pass just as Joseph says it would. Now, before the cupbearer leaves, Joseph says, listen, you're going to be raised up to Pharaoh's side again. Please, I'm not supposed to be here. Tell him about me. And the cupbearer forgets for two whole years. But after two years, Pharaoh has a dream. He dreams that there are seven healthy, fat cows that get swallowed up by seven thin, sickly cows. And those cows don't get any bigger. He wakes up, he realizes it's a dream, and he goes back to sleep and has another dream. And in that dream, he sees seven healthy ears of grain growing, but seven nasty, blighted ears of grain go up, grow up behind them and consume the healthy grain. Pharaoh wakes up in the morning, and he's so troubled that he calls all the magicians, all the wise men of Egypt to explain what this dream means, but none of them can. And the cupbearer says, oh, king, today I remember my offenses. That's chapter 41, verse 9. There was a young man in prison when you put me in prison, a young Hebrew who interpreted my dream and the baker's dream. And just as we dreamed and just as he said, it came to pass. And so Pharaoh calls for Joseph. They bring him out of prison. They shave him. They put new clothes on him. And Pharaoh tells his dreams to Joseph. And Joseph says, the dreams mean that seven years of abundance are coming upon the land of Egypt followed by seven years of famine. And so Joseph says, set a discerning and wise man over the land of Egypt who can gather and store up all the extra grain in the seven years of abundance, and then you'll have enough for the seven years of famine. And Pharaoh says, well, where are we going to get a more wise and discerning person than this? He has the Spirit of God. And so... Pharaoh raises Joseph up from the prison to rule over all of Egypt. He gives him authority over all of Egypt, all authority except for the throne itself. And he puts Joseph in his second chariot. He makes all the land of Egypt bow down to him. He gives Joseph a wife from among the priests of Egypt, and he has two sons. And the seven years of abundance come just as the Lord had revealed. And Joseph stores up grain, the text says, beyond counting. That's 41, verse 40, chapter 41, verse 49. And then the seven years of famine come, but there's enough bread in Egypt, and so all the world comes to Joseph to be saved. That's the overview. It's the rags to riches story. It's actually the riches to rags to riches story, which is kind of like the life of Jesus. We'll see that later. We're going to look at Joseph's success here. Joseph's success. This text, these chapters, draw attention to Joseph's success and the role that God has in Joseph's success. 
and there's lots for us to learn through it. So here's the outline. This is what we're going to do with the rest of our time. God gives success. That's what we're going to see. God gives success. Point one. Point two, pleasing God is the goal of a successful soul. Pleasing God is the goal of a successful soul. That one rhymes, the third one doesn't. Successful souls will be raised up. Successful souls will be raised up, and we'll explain what all this means. God gives success. Okay, in verse 2 of chapter 39, right when you begin, after Joseph's been purchased by Potiphar, the text says, this is verses 2 and 3, the Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. Skip down to verse 5 if you're looking at the text. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. Even when Joseph's in prison, look at verse 21 of chapter 39. The Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. So the keeper puts Joseph in charge. Look at the end of verse 23. The Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. So you see, the text again and again, is trying to emphasize the connection between God's working and Joseph's success. God is the one who's making it happen. And it's not just in chapter 39. In chapter 40, when Joseph's in prison, he tells the cupbearer and the baker that God is the one who makes him successful in interpreting dreams. He says that. That's 40 verse 8. Do not interpretations belong to God? He's saying, I... I'm not the one who's doing this. It's God. And in chapter 41, Joseph is clear to Pharaoh. Verse 16, it's not in me to interpret dreams. God will give the answer. God is the reason that Joseph is able. Even at the end of chapter 41, we see Joseph has two sons. And in his naming of them, He's clear that God deserves the credit for all his success. 41, verses 51 and 52. So Joseph calls his firstborn Manasseh, for, he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. The name of his second son he called Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. So God is the cause for all of Joseph's success. I mean, the text is crystal clear about that. But before we go any further, we should define what success is. What is it that we're talking about? What is success? Here's my definition. Success is achieving or exceeding a goal. That's what success is. It's meeting, achieving, or exceeding a goal. Now, in that definition, the word goal is really important. 
meeting or exceeding a goal. The goal, what you're aiming at is crucial. If you're shooting a gun and you hit a target right in the middle, but you were aiming for the bear, you weren't successful. <laughs> People may be like, whoa, he hit the target in the middle. But you know you were shooting at the bear. <laughs> That's not success. The goal matters when you're defining what success is. What you're aiming at matters. Being a successful businessman means that you sell and tra trade and buy and organize in a way that makes a business profitable. That's what makes you a successful businessman because towards the goal of making a profitable business, you're good at that. But that doesn't make you a successful father. You can be the best businessman, businesswoman in the world, the most successful, and be a failure at home because the goals are different. Defining the goal matters. Now, what we've been noticing in these chapters is that God is the ultimate reason that Joseph is successful. I mean, the text is just hammering us over the head with that. Joseph may be really good at organizing. He's had plenty of opportunities to do it. Joseph's wise, we know that. He may be really good at delegating tasks. But this text is crystal clear that God is the reason for Joseph's success. And whatever goal Joseph's aiming at, God is the reason for it. Now, in fact, if God is in control, chapters 39, 40, 41 are making clear God's the one who's working all of this. He's in control. We're going to get to Genesis 50, which is the climax of this story, and the point is God has absolute control in all that occurs. And if that's true, then we should recognize that any success that any man, woman, or child has is because God has granted it. Even for unbelievers. I mean, let's just imagine that the, un the, the businessman we were talking about is an unbeliever. He's a wicked man. But he's gifted at organizing, trading, buying, selling, even his success is owing to the fact that God has given him his abilities. God has provided opportunities for him. God has worked circumstances outside of his control that have given him success. If, if you really believe that God is in control, he is the one who gives any success. As a Christian, if you believe that any success you might have is because God has given it to you, you ought to be a thankful person. You guys know the doxology? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. We believe that. Every good thing we have is a gift. We ought to be the most thankful people in the world because everything good we have has been given by him. 
and Christians. If you believe that this God, this almighty God is your father, then we should always be praying. Always. It's a contradiction for us to say that this is who our father is and never plead, never pray to him. There's some who would say, well, if God's in absolute control, what's the point of pleading and praying? But I say, if God's not in control, what's the point of pleading and praying? He has all the power to do anything he wants, and he invites us to ask him for help. What a merciful God. So let's pray. God gives success. God gives it. Now be careful, because you might be hearing this and, and thinking, all right, I've got big plans. I got big plans, and if God's with me, he's going to make me successful. Well, we're going to see there's a kind of success that matters more than all the others, and without which, none of the others matter. We're going to see it in Joseph's story. Point two, pleasing God is the goal of a successful soul. So in chapter 39, Joseph does the right thing. He won't lie with Potiphar's wife. And he loses all his other successes because of it. All that he'd gained, even in his enslavement, was lost in a moment because he did the right thing. And Potiphar's wife was persistent in trying to seduce Joseph. Text points that out. But what he says to her, this is verse 9 of 39, it gives us some insight into Joseph's motivation. Verse 9, chapter 39, he says to her, how then could I do this great wickedness and sin against God? You see, Joseph had a greater goal than being the best house manager in Egypt. His great goal was to please God, even if it meant he missed out on all his other goals as a result. And that's what happened. But there is no lasting success without this as your primary goal. There is no lasting success without this, pleasing God is your primary goal. Jesus himself said, Mark 8, 36, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Consider your life. I have spoken to several of you who are so ready to tell a lie or tell or to cheat at work if it lets you get ahead. What does it profit you if you gain 500 dirhams more a month and lose your soul? What does it profit you if you gain the world? The mark of a successful life is not how much money do I have, how many kids do I have, how many people know me, how much sex do I have, how healthy am I? You can meet and exceed every one of those goals. 
and your soul be an utter failure and forfeit. There is one goal by which all others are measured. Do you please God? Does your life please God? Reflect. Does your life please him? By yourself, the answer is no. By yourself, you and I are loaded with burdens of guilt that would press us through this floor into the depths of hell and pin us there forever. Only one man did what was pleasing to God all the time. Jesus says, this is John 8, 29. I always do the things that are pleasing to my Father. <laughs> Who could talk like that? I always do what is pleasing to him. And God so loved the world that he offered him up as a sacrifice in your place. The perfectly pleasing one in your place. And if you say, oh God, I do deserve to be weighed down forever under condemnation, for what I've done and who I've been. I need a righteousness outside of me. I need that one's righteousness. If I'll ever please you, then you'll have it. Forgiveness, adoption into the family of God, and power to live a life that pleases him. My plea to you, for some who come in and out every week but aren't reconciled to God, be united to him by faith. Receive a righteousness that's not your own and the ability to please God. That's the success next to which all others are smoke and wind that blow away. Some of you have come from places you don't have a lot of money and all that you want is to get a little something and go back home and be somebody. Some of you are here for ministry. All you want is to do something for God so that other people notice and you're somebody. But if the goal you're aiming at isn't to please God, it's the essence of failure to pile up all the success in this world, whether that's in ministry or in the corporate world, is the essence of failure if you don't live to please God. The life that lives to please God, it will be shown. It will be shown someday. This is our third point. Successful souls will be raised up. Consider the length of time that Joseph was in either a slave or in prison. Thirteen years. 
We found out in chapter 37, the second verse, that he was 17 years old when he was sold into slavery. Chapter 41, 46 tells us that he was 30 when he was brought out of prison. 13 years, his trajectory was downward. His career path was a sinking ship. It's not like he had a bad month or a bad quarter or a bad year. 13 years. How old were you 13 years ago? Was life different 13 years ago? It might feel like a different life. If you'd asked someone to audit, assess Joseph's life 12 years and 11 months into his captivity, they probably would have said, that's not a very important life. And it hasn't done him very much good living to please God. And the lesson is this. Taking a snapshot of the middle of life doesn't give you the whole story until you get to the end. Your sufferings, yours, your forgottenness. Joseph was forgotten for two years. Your pain is not the whole story, even if it's been years and years for you. Joseph's life is a picture of this truth, that those who please God will be exalted. Successful souls, by successful souls, I don't mean that you're great in your career. I mean that you live and aim to please God. Successful souls like that will be lifted up. Joseph is mentioned being in a pit three times. Chapter 37, 24, his brothers throw him in a pit. In chapter 40, 15, Joseph calls his prison a pit. Chapter 41, verse 14, when Pharaoh calls for Joseph, the text says they brought him out of the pit. And the point is that Joseph's path was one that took him to the bottom of the pit before he was raised up. But he was exalted in the end, and that is always true for those who please God. You are not promised that you will be exalted in this life. Now we get a snapshot, we get a picture of this in a life, but this is not how it works for you and me. You will not be exalted in this life. In fact, the only success you may have in this life is that you please God and you have no other worldly successes to your name but you will be exalted someday. Living to please God is never loss. Your exaltation won't happen in this life because Jesus has something better for you than exaltation in this life. Let's connect all this to Jesus. Joseph is a picture of Christ, Jesus Christ, suffering, and then exaltation that saved many people. That's how it was for Jesus, wasn't it? Philippians 2, who, Jesus, being in the form of God, 
did not consider equality with God a thing to be held on to. But he emptied himself. Becoming a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in appearance of men, he humbled himself. He went even lower than becoming a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death on a cross. That's lower than Joseph ever went. And then the text says, therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. Through that suffering and exaltation, we are saved. That's very Joseph-like, isn't it? Only way, way bigger infinitely deeper. Joseph, he serves as a picture of Jesus' suffering and then exaltation. Follow me here. Joseph is a picture of Jesus' suffering and exaltation, but Jesus is the pattern for your suffering and exaltation. You know what a pattern is? Pattern? If you're sewing clothes and you have a pattern, it's an outline that you can cut and you can put all the fabric together so that every piece of clothing that you make is the same. Same size, same fit. That's how a pattern works. Jesus is our pattern. If we belong to him, our life is now fashioned to be like his. Did you know that? when you became a Christian, that your life would end up looking like his? <laughs> the difference between a picture, Joseph's a picture, the difference between a picture and a pattern is this. A picture shows you what something looks like. A pattern is what makes everything else look like it. Joseph's a picture of long-suffering and then exaltation. But Jesus is the pattern for everyone who belongs to him by faith. So we said before, Jesus suffering on the cross and dying and then rising from the dead purchased your forgiveness and your power to please God. But his suffering and then his exaltation is the pattern of a life that you will now live if you live to please him. Listen to 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 13. Peter says this, Rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering. Well, that's a crazy thing to say. Rejoice when you suffer like, like Christ. It's not crazy. So that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Do you see what he's saying? When you suffer like Jesus... You'll be raised with him. We must share in Christ's suffering before we get resurrected. Listen to Romans 8, 17. If we are God's children, then we are heirs, heirs of God. <laughs> that means we inherit what belongs to him. Heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, provided 
that we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. You got that? Joseph's a picture. What a helpful picture of what suffering, long suffering that's unexplained looks like. And then exaltation. But Jesus is our pattern. If you live a life to please God, you'll suffer. You'll find yourself in jail going, God, why is this happening to me? Why so long? You must suffer, but then you will be raised up. Jesus has secured that for you. Not in this life to be Pharaoh's right-hand man or woman. That's far too little. If your goal, the measure of your success is to please God, and you do it by trusting in Jesus alone, you will suffer in this life. Like Joseph, like Jesus, but you will someday be glorified with Christ. And it will be an exaltation that makes Joseph's exaltation look very small. You'll be raised up, not out of a pit, but you will be raised up out of your grave, just like Jesus, and you'll share his invincible glory, and you will shine like the sun in the kingdom of your Father. So measure your success by this. Are you living to please God because you belong to Jesus? That's what real success is. Let's pray. Father, we do believe the words of your Son that it would profit us nothing if we gained everything else in this world and did not have you. Jesus, thank you that you came, you suffered, so that you would purchase for us a life like yours. And then you were glorified so that we might be with you someday not just for 10 years, 20 years, 70 years, 100 years, but for 10,000 lifetimes and forevermore. Thank you, Jesus. There's no one like you. And it's in your precious name we pray. Amen.